There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There was a young man who said God must find it exceedingly odd to think that this tree should continue to be when there's no one about in the quad. Dear sir, your astonishment's odd. I am always about in the quad, and that's why the tree continues to be, since observed, by yours faithfully, God. That limerick by the theologian Ronald Knox tries to capture the spirit of George Berkeley's philosophising. The Anglo-Irish thinker and Church of Ireland Bishop of Cloyne is Ireland's most famous philosopher, but his ideas are not easy to explain and are often misunderstood. To help make sense of Berkeley's thinking, not only about whether trees that fall when no one's around make a sound, but also about his more substantive ideas, we've enlisted the help of David Berman, TCD Professor Emeritus. I started by asking him, how was it that Berkeley became part of a flourishing of intellectual activity in Ireland between the mid-17th and mid-18th centuries? I think there are two things. First of all, uh, there was unusual talent at the time, and I would say even genius. The, the main figures here are Barclay, Toland, Edmund Burke, William Molyneux, Francis Hutcheson, and uh, perhaps I should mention that Swift comes in, but in a kind of tangential way, but he does enter the stream of Irish philosophy with a number of his pamphlets. So that's part of it, the, that there's unusual talent there. The other thing is that um, there are needs and desires which are pressing in. And particularly in Toland's case, he, he was born a Roman Catholic in Donegal in uh, the 1670s, and he saw the terrible havoc that religious uh, sectarianism was producing in Ireland. And uh, I think when he as, he, as he developed, he saw a way of dealing with it, namely through a, a kind of tolerant deistic philosophy that uh, reduced uh, division uh, in favor of a kind of enlightenment uh, communal understanding of religion. That's on what I call the Enlightenment side. On the counter-Enlightenment side, uh, what you have after the defeat of James II is a, uh, a, a, an emerging ascendancy, the, the Anglican ascendancy, which was faced with the challenge of having to rule a population composed mostly of Roman Catholics, but also to some extent Presbyterians. And the way that they did that was, of course, partly political, and, and that comes out in the penal laws. But behind the penal laws, there's a, uh, a philosophical structure, and that structure uh, comes from the way that they creatively uh, made use of what I call the, the counter-enlightenment. In, in, in some ways, it was putting old wine into new bottles. Uh, 
for example, uh, they made use of uh, fideism and of negative theology in a creative way, although probably I, I would need to gloss those old ideas of uh, fideism and negative theology. And how was Berkeley in particular affected by that, by, by the, maybe the political backdrop and also by his own maybe position there within society? He was a, a religious figure in his own right. Well, I think Berkeley is the great genius. He's the sort of centerpiece of Irish philosophy. And I know it sounds a bit corny, but I, I would say Berkeley's primary concern was with getting to the truth, that he was a genuine philosopher. But there's no doubt that he uh, was also influenced to some extent by his upbringing and, and his commitment to theism and to Protestantism. But I think that the two dovetail with him and that uh, he does to some extent also provide a, uh, a way of dealing with the... Um, the great challenge that Tolan posed in his first great book, Christianity Not Mysterious, and specifically what Barclay does is to uh, find a way of reinstating mystery, but in, in, uh, by using something that he developed, namely, or discovered, namely the emotive theory of meaning. So uh, Tolan draws on the rationalist idea of meaning as communication. Barclay counters that by opening up a, a, another kind of meaning, namely a mode of meaning. In fact, that, that discovery of his, which I think came from his, uh, partly just his understanding of language, but also partly the need to make sense of mystery, that was mainly unmined un, un, un until the 20th century with people like Wittgenstein who see that language has more than one use, more than just communication. He's part, I suppose, of a, of a broader um, philosophical dichotomy, if you like, that sort of the, he'd be the idealist sort of side of the argument versus the materialists, if it's, if it's fair to kind of lump him in that category. But that, that side is under a lot of attack these days from science, in particular maybe from neuroscience and people saying, well, this has proved the, the uh, Cartesian dualism to be false, this idea that minds and bodies are, are separate, that actual fact minds emerge from uh, physical states and this, this dualism that's sort of set up within philosophies like Berkeley's is disproved somehow by, by progress within neuroscience. I don't know how you respond to that. Uh, certainly it is an attack on uh, Berkeley's idealism or immaterialism. What I think Berkeley would say is that science or neuroscience properly understood really does not represent a, uh, a refutation or a serious challenge to his philosophy. What he would say is that modern, modern uh, brain science has shown in enormous detail the connections between brain states and conscious states. In, in, in contemporary philosophy of, philosophy of mind language, 
what they've done is to solve the soft problem. The hard problem is to explain how a material thing like the brain could give rise or produce consciousness. And, and Barclay would say that that hasn't at all been done because the way it has to be done is through experience, not through a priori deduction. It has to be uh, grounded in the world of observation. And Barclay would maintain that what, what he is able to show is that experience supports idealism. And he thinks that it, could, it supports it through the activity of mental imaging. Because in mental imaging, we can observe how a volition, a willing to produce a certain image, for example, the, the image I have of my mother, uh, is capable at least of showing how uh, something mental can produce an object, uh, admittedly not, not a physical object, but an object which is like a physical object. Whereas Barclay would say there is no uh, experiential or experimental evidence to show that a, 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 a physical thing can give rise to uh, a, a mental thing, which again is different from showing that there's a, a causal correlation between uh, a physical thing being present then normally followed by a mental thing or the two occurring uh, in, in, in a parallel way. That's, that's Barclay's position. But what I would like to say is that the, there's an assumption behind both uh, monistic materialism, that is uh, the, the, the kind of very strong materialism that you find among some scientists, and Barclay's idealism. And the assumption is that either uh, mind gives rise to matter or matter gives rise to mind. In other words, one of those two must be true. But why should this be the case? Take, take a parallel thing. We certainly don't ask whether uh, man produces woman or woman produces man. We take it that the two are required. They're both uh, basic or fundamental entities. And that's, that's what I would say is the case with uh, uh, materialism versus idealism or dualism, that they can both be true. And that's why Barclay and Tolan, Barclay being a spiritual dualist, Tolan being a monistic materialist, can both be right. And in fact, if we're looking for a sort of bad or, or uh, an object for uh, hostility, it should be the attempt at a compromise between uh, materialism on the one hand and dualism on the other, such as you find in uh, Hegel's idealism, his, his, his brand of idealism, where a thesis and antithesis is always brought to a truer conclusion in something that reconciles them and synthesizes them. What I want to say is that 
Barclay and Toland can provide a sort of uh, two beacons for the future of philosophy, not by being brought together, but in fact by being kept apart and seeing, uh, being seen as uh, both equally true. I know that sounds uh, a little paradoxical, but I think uh, it can be justified. In the broader sense, Toland might be more seen as the philosopher of now, the, the Enlightenment philosopher, whereas Berkeley might have been seen as his, his time has gone and been a counter-Enlightenment man. He's uh, swimming against the tide. But as you say, you'd counter that and you feel maybe is there different things to be taken from each of them? Yes, in fact, what I would agree with you that <coughs> Toland's uh, materialism, which I would actually describe uh, working from his text, particularly his one of his last texts called Pantheisticon, published in 1720, and I would describe his philosophy as pantheistic materialism. What I would say is, yes, that is a philosophy for today, because the consensus today is materialism. Uh, but philosophy, sadly, tends to work in uh, swings. So uh, it's true the 20th century and so far the 21st century have been very materialistic. Most philosophers would say that materialism is true. But what uh, historians uh, would point out is that the 19th century was a century of idealism of which Barclay is the acknowledged father. And so uh, quite possibly the 21st century will swing once again and uh, the consensus will become idealism. The point is, is not to uh, uh, become part of a consensus or not to, not, to, not to be obsessed by the consensus but to try to get to the truth. So let me put it in a kind of formula that Toland's philosophy does seem to be for today. Barclay's philosophy could be for tomorrow, but what we really want is a true philosophy for the future. And as I see it, both philosophies are true, so they're kind of two perennial philosophies, which should be the two beacons for both Irish philosophy and Irish religion. David Berman, thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.